And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Green light 3-0 and she's gone! Welcome to the 3-0 Show, part of the Athletic Baseball Show. It is Thursday, September 1st, flipping the calendar to what's usually the last month of the regular season. We're going to run a little further into October, of course, with the late start to the 2022 season. Derek Van Hyper here with Eno Saris. Really more of a 2-0 show today, just a duo. No uh, no third person in the booth with us today, but we're going to get back to the three-player booth starting again next week. On this episode, we're going to take a look at the Rays pitching staff in the wake of a shoulder injury for Shane McClanahan. We're still awaiting the results of an MRI, but we'll talk about the implications of that injury, a possible absence for him that's going to be likely a couple of weeks, if not longer, um, how the Rays like to manage their pitching overall, including how their relievers interact with those starters. We'll talk about Tyler Glass now getting an extension as he works his way back from Tommy John surgery. It looks like he's coming back before the end of this season. And then we'll look at the AL Cy Young Award race since McClanahan is among the many candidates vying for the AL Cy Young Award. We'll take a look at the NL side as well. And then we're going to pull back and take a look at the 2022 run environment. You might remember at the beginning of this season, it looked very bad. Things have corrected a little bit. So we'll take a look at what this season looks like from just a broader offensive perspective and and discuss whether or not the league is kind of closer to where it wants to be with the way baseball looks on a day-to-day basis. So you know, let's begin with the Rays. We saw the video going around on Tuesday night. Shane McClanahan was scratched from his start against the Marlins just a few minutes before he was going to take the mound. Um, you could see him in the video, point to his left arm. They diagnosed him initially with a shoulder impingement. That's usually about a two-week injury, give or take. So if it's just that and the Rays are sort of cautiously optimistic that it is, in fact, a minor injury, we'll be talking about McClanahan returning probably by the middle or later part of September. The MRI they had taken, though, is to make sure there's nothing else more serious going on. And it's one of those things where I know they were trying to manage his workload carefully because of previous injury concerns. I'm not really sure they did anything wrong. I I, I think this is just the cost of trying to get young pitching fully stretched out over a full season where sometimes guys just break down. And hopefully, in the case of McClanahan, we're talking about that shorter term absence. Yeah, we maybe knew that some kind of finagling with his innings were was going to come. Um, you know, his previous career high in innings is 123 last year plus the postseason, which gets him to 129. He's at 147 plus this year. Um, you know, there is probably going to be some um, delicate kid gloves kind of coaching him through the end of the season, you had uh, something that you'd seen about how they were going to, how they were planning on, on maybe even uh, semi-resting him, uh, you know, already before this thing happened. 
Yeah, so what the Rays did earlier this season, they had an off day coming up in the schedule and they used Drew Rasmussen for just three innings and a start by design just to sort of ease the workload on him. They had actually considered doing the exact same thing with McClanahan on Tuesday against the Marlins. They at least discussed it, according to Mark Topkin from the Tampa Bay Times. So I I like the idea of, of taking these preventative measures because I like the idea of young pitchers staying healthy. I think it's still it still feels like it's a little bit of educated guesswork trying to figure out what exactly is going to make a difference. And I'm I'm skeptical that only throwing 45 pitches instead of throwing 90 is going to make a, a big difference in the long term health outcome, even though I again, I, I'm, I'm not criticizing the Rays for trying this. I'm just worried that that's not necessarily going to be enough to prevent the the bigger problems that we're dealing with across all pitchers in the league right now yeah um and you know there's there's educated i think it is educated guesswork there's just that's a little bit better maybe than just the guesswork that we used to do um you know i joke about the alex anthopoulos saying hey we add 20 percent every year because that's what people do Uh, obviously alex anthopoulos's new team is not doing that uh they're they're letting uh, some of their young pitchers go well beyond 20 percent and if you ask people in coaching you know well what can you do how do you do this and one of the things they'll do uh, is monitor monitor just the workload um i had a piece about bullpen recently where i talked to dr mike son who works on fatigue units and he says fatigue units are a way of sort of just measuring fatigue and for a reliever the uh you know days of rest is is the number one key component but however um you know, number of pitches, uh, how close you throw to your maximum velo, your pace uh, on the mound. These are all factors in it. Um, and so, you, like, that's that's like more advanced fatigue tracking, right? And so you start talking about, like, okay, we're going to arrest this guy if his fatigue units are too high. That That's cool. Uh, sounds good. Uh, you also talk to coaches that say, we can monitor things, um, you know, more minute things to to spot a guy who's being hurt and and and, um you know there was a josh kalk who's now you know i think an agm uh, of the twins he's high up on the twins um he had a thing that he wrote publicly called the injury finder uh and it was basically just use pitch fx stuff so it was release point zone percentage and velo and said this is we can spot injuries before they happen using this right so uh i that sort of thought has been pervasive. Now, instead of just tracking pitches or innings, uh, we can track how the process, like how is the pitcher's release point dropping? Is his velo dropping? Is his stuff dropping? You know, that sort of stuff. I, I want to present to you uh, an interesting case. Mr. Logan Webb started the season, uh, well, his first start, 94 and a half on the four-seamer, but... Let's say 92s. He's in the 92s at the beginning of the season, which is already down from last year. Last year was 93, 94. So now he's in the 92s to begin the season. In his last five starts, uh, he's been no higher than 91.6, and he's been as low as 96. So now you're talking about a guy who's lost a tick to a tick and a half off off his velocity. Okay, you know, late in the season, a little bit of fatigue, no big, no big deal. Well, his vertical release point on the sinker uh, has dropped 
uh, let's see this. This is in uh, feet. So it's dropped uh, five or six inches, right? Are we talking about shutting Logan Webb down? I don't hear anything about it. It's not in the news. Maybe it'll happen and we just they're talking about it internally, uh, in which case, kudos. You're, you're spotting the things you're supposed to spot, you know? Uh, but I, I, I think that we have... Uh, we still have an in, we have an inconsistent application of our own uh, education. You know what I'm saying? Like we have this, we're making these educated guesses, but there's there's still an inconsistent application of those findings that we've that we've had in the past. So, um, but the the rays are are particularly interesting because they are top sixth in the in the in the league in back to backs back to back appearances by their relievers. They're uh, first in the league in back-to-back-to-back appearances by their relievers. And they're top six in the league when it comes to four out or more long appearances out of the bullpen. You'd think that they would be super taxed. You can also look and see that they are the most injured team in baseball this year and are often the most injured team. And yet, you know from just this thing that you were reporting or that you found that 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 they think about the entire pitching staff a week before the week that, that that's coming. You know what I mean? Like they this week they're talking about who's going to pitch in the 7th inning next Friday. You know what I mean? Because they're mm-hmm. they they've created this idea of bullpen rotations. These guys are available these days. They're going to be off these days. We're going to use this guy for 3 this day, so he's going to be off for 3 days and they've they they're doing their best. And yet they are the most injured team, and they but yet they also acquire players that are often injured. So I, I feel like that's that's that sort of is a good example of like even the best intentions will lead to injury. <laughs> There's a lot of ways to to go with uh, this conversation. I, I'm I'm thinking about five things at once, yeah. which is not a very effective way to to host the podcast. Um, going back to the Logan Webb release point thing, yeah, I haven't. I haven't seen or heard anything about it. I don't read every possible thing about the Giants, but it's mm-hmm. it doesn't seem like a an issue that people are bringing up right now. I look at the release point changing, and in my head, I say, okay, that's probably the body compensating for some sort of fatigue, weakness, some kind of issue. And I think I try to relate that to things that normal people do so you could understand, right? If you have a pebble in your shoe, as my, my friend Bernie Pleskoff would always say, you start walking a little bit differently until you yeah. take the pebble out of your shoe, right? So I think your release point's a little bit like that, where if something's a little tight somewhere in the kinetic chain, your body's going to compensate to not continually aggravate whatever it is that's bothering you. So I think that's a big part of why release point is so important. And I tend to think that that is a, a very good place to begin. I think that's, can it always be? A problem due to injury? Probably not. No, I, I think you could probably lose your release point because of mechanical issues, or it might even be an arm injury. It could be an injury in your legs. It could be something else entirely that causes your release point to change, theoretically. So I do think the release point is a, a really good place to be. The, the other player I keep thinking about during this conversation is Jacob deGrom. And I think about him as an example of someone who's well past the kid glove stage with McClanahan we understood going into the season the Rays were going to try and manage him carefully getting him from April to October was going to be a challenge and how they were going to do it you know was was a bit of a mystery DeGrom 
keeps coming into my mind because he throws harder and harder and harder every single year. We have reason to believe that sitting close to your max is part of the problem, part of how pitchers keep blowing out. And he's not dialing anything back. He's up again this year. He's at 99.3 for his average fastball velocity in just the five starts that he's made for the Mets this season. I know Jacob deGrom continues to say he's going to opt out at the end of the season and getting the biggest possible payday probably comes from proving you're healthy and throwing as hard as you possibly can while doing it and being absolutely filthy. But it seems strange to me that something like that is something that a player has a little more control over that could actually preserve their own health. And I just wonder if we're going to see a group of pitchers start to say, I can throw 99 with that fastball. I can average 99 if I want to, but my career will be a lot longer if I average 96 or 95 even. And then I'll just reach back for that that extra velo when I need it. So I don't think that's part of what's happening with McClanahan, but I do think the velocity, the average velocity, sitting velocity relative to max is another huge component in how and why some pitchers are, are breaking down at a greater rate than others. Yeah, it's, I think it's a moving target over as you age, too, because your maximum your ability to throw really hard does decline as you age, right? Um, but you want to prove your health. You want to get this deal. But, you know, does the marketplace reward the hard throwers that do well uh, more than the ones who've shown longevity? And I think, yes, the, the, the marketplace rewards strikeout rate and, and velo. Uh, but if you're someone like Carlos Rodon... It's flipped a little bit. The marketplace has said, we don't trust you, you know? And if you actually look at Carlos Rodon, he'll, he'll sit lower in the beginning of his starts now and just go to the big 99s and 97s and 98s to get big outs late in the game. So he still shows he's got the 98, but he sits 93, 94 for a lot of the game. And I think that's him saying... The marketplace has told me they're only going to give me one-year deals until I show them that I can throw 180, you know? And I think this year, maybe there was some part of the, the last couple of years has been a concerted effort to, like, leave some stuff in the tank, you know, pitch at one level, and then still have more. So I, I don't think there's a monolith here where there's a there's one right answer for every pitcher. For Justin Verlander and for Jake DeGrom, if your max velo is down and the rest of your career is short and no one's going to give you a 10, six, eight year deal anyway, then, and you only want a three or four, five year deal, then you need to, you know, I think five for, for DeGrom or Verlander would be way too much. Anyway, look at what Max Scherzer got, you know? So they're only pitching for two year deals or something. They want to get two years and 40 million a year. (laughs) So they better just air it out. (laughs) I wonder if the DeGrom contracts are going to change the contracts for younger pitchers over time, just because I I think teams might have a greater appetite for the high AAV, giving pitchers more opt outs and and just saying, yeah, you know what, compared to the mega deal for Julio Rodriguez and the one before that for for Fernando Tatis Jr., if you have a great young pitcher, you're fine saying 25, 30 million a year. And saying, yeah, sure, we'll do it for two or three years and you can have an opt out after year one or year two or both. And, you know, if if you get hurt and stay with us and come back and we only get two seasons out of three and we spent 90 million to get there, 
you might have been good enough in those two seasons where it's actually worth it. And I think with DeGrom, the structure of his contracts might be really unusual for all these reasons because of the lost time. And I think it's not necessarily a bad thing for for him because he might end up making more if he can find that sweet spot, if he can find that balance that actually keeps him healthy while performing at you know a near league best sort of level into his late 30s. Yeah, I think you also look at the deals for Robbie Ray and Kevin Gossman, the sort of five and 100, 120, whatever, those deals as um, the sort of best you'll do in the meantime, unless you're one of the top three in the, you know, in the league. So you you take that sort of four and 80, five and 100 uh, and hope you're still around to get two years at 30 at the end. Uh, you know, think of Charlie Morton's, you know, short-term deals that he's getting at the end. Uh, because once you do show some longevity, uh, people are love to, to, to hire the Corey Klubers of the world, you know. Uh, I'd love to give you one year and 10, one year and 15 million at the end. Um, so, but th- then there's always this injury thing that comes in. What if, you know, if Gossman or, or Ray get injured during this, these contracts, they're not going to get those, those, those plus ones at the end. Um, anyway, it's, it's a fascinating thing that the Rays in particular, uh, you know, with their using the, the bullpen for four outs and back to back to backs and back to backs, uh, are obviously pushing the needle a little bit on how much bullpen you can use. They, they lead the league every year in bullpen innings. Uh, it's been big part of their run prevention and why, uh, they're a good team. And I think it's also fair to ask uh, if it if it's led to you know their poor injury outcomes. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven U S based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So there's some other factors here with the Rays, though. I, I think they embrace injury risk compared to other organizations. The Giants certainly did it with the Rodon contract and the guys they added around him were also pretty injury prone pitchers that they got on shorter deals as a result of lost time. Alex Wood, who I keep expecting to turn it around. Alex Cobb has missed a lot of time. I think the market can overcorrect a lot of times for for injury risk and for now, there's a bargain there, and I think as more and more teams get on board and start kind of bidding against each other for those same profiles, it'll correct and probably get to a bit more of a, a stabilization point. But the Rays actually just extended Tyler Glass now, two years, just over $30 million as he completes the final stages uh, of his Tommy John recovery. To me, that's a signal that they expect him, even if he's going to work in a relief role, right? If he's going to give them a handful of innings in September and October as a bullpen guy this year, 
they expect him to come back next year, maybe similar to Luis Severino with the Yankees, where he comes back, gives them really high quality innings as a starter. They may still have to find ways to work around off days or go to a six man rotation for a stretch. Or if they're going to do the three inning thing a couple of times, there may be some creative ways to to get glass now from opening day to postseason next year if the Rays make it. But the money tells me they're very confident in what they think he is capable of doing once he gets back on the mound. And honestly, for 15 million a year, you know, the I think what's already what you were talking about is already happening. The the money creeping up on the one year deals. Look at Tyler Anderson getting a two year deal from the Dodgers. I think he was seen as one of the guys that you might be able to get on a one year deal. Um, Look at Corey Kluber. I think he got like 12 million. You know, for for a season at 36, 37 years old, um, you'd rather have Tyler Glass now for 15 million, you know, especially if he uh, ends up being healthy. So um, maybe this is a zig or a zag or, you know, maybe it's just uh, taking the opportunity to sign one of their guys to an extension that has some goodwill for the organization. They have done this in the past and obviously the Braves are doing this pretty hardcore right now. Uh, this could file this, you could file this in the category of young player, you know, signing, signing to get some, um, you know, stability, some guaranteed money and staying with the organization that they've been with. Yeah. I think if you look at it through the lens of what is the ceiling for this pitcher, Tyler Glass now is probably a ceiling five war sort of pitcher. Like that's not an unreasonable sort of expectation. The shorter term deals work really well for teams when you can get to that level because at an average annual value of 15 million you don't have to be a five war pitcher to be good for the team you could be a two war pitcher and that's probably just fine at that sort of rate so the the balance works out really well in the in the case of of glass now and the rays and making the numbers fit and then if he's healthy at the end of that two-year extension after 2024 he gets a big big payday in free agency he gets that five or six year deal because he'll be at the right age for it and I think the Rodon situation is tough because he's he's not only showing that he's healthy after dealing with the tons of injuries during his time with the White Sox. There's a very good chance Rodon's going to pass his previous career high in innings this year. He's at 151 and a third right now. Previous career high was all the way back in 2016 at 165. The skills back then were not as good. He is getting better from a skills perspective as he gets closer to age 30. You know, the K rate last year spiked at 34.6%. He's maintained a lot of those gains at 31.4%. And the control is a lot better now than it was for the better part of the last four, the last five years that he spent in Chicago. So that's the other complicating factor is that he's better on top of being healthy right now. I wonder if the Rodon contract will look similar to what Zach Wheeler signed with the Phillies a few years ago, because I think the combined damage of the injuries that Rodon has dealt with in the past is similar to Wheeler, probably a little more scary, but in terms of age and and ceiling and thinking about what teams like to do. Yeah. Like the recent health track record is fairly similar, you know, a five-year deal. That's a, a nine figure contract. That seems probably like a starting point for Rodon as he goes back to free agency. Will he be better than Gossman and Rage? Gossman and Rage show, showed better health, but more inconsistent results. Yeah, that's the that's the challenge. Which risk are you more likely to take on, performance risk or health risk? I think health risk. Because think about this. Performance risk, 
if they're no good, they're still on your team. And then you have to decide, God, are we going to cut them in year two or three? Or mm, think of Patrick Corbin. Corbin, Dallas Keuchel. Just think of, you know, last year even, thinking about Patrick Corbin. Like, what do we do, guys? Like, what do we do with Patrick Corbin? And with health, at least you can be like, Put him on the IL, <laughs> which you I get think to play someone else. Maybe yeah. teams do anyway, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think I would actually prefer the the health risk because uh, it's much easier to know what to do um, if they if they if they're not healthy. You get them healthy again. It's interesting to me because I think most of the teams that are willing to take on more health risk seem to be teams that develop players really well. So mm. their replacement level is higher than that of teams that don't do this particularly well, or at least it's less damaging. If if the Rays end up being wrong about Tyler Glass now, like let's just say Glass now is not the same guy he was before he got hurt. Okay, that's not going to wreck them anyway. But Think about what they do so well as an organization. The Giants, I think, are becoming that sort of organization. It's taking a little time, but they're they're heading that direction. The Dodgers embrace a lot of risk, especially with their relievers, but they develop players exceptionally well. So if they're wrong, even the Clayton Kershaw deal, bringing a guy like Kershaw back and relying on him doesn't matter as much when you have Mitch three White, or four near big league ready starters that you can turn to. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It affords you the risk because you you know you have those replacements who maybe aren't going to reach the same ceiling, but you're still going to be a good team even with that's, those guys. That's the benefit in. of good player development and good uh, sort of roster management all the way down. You know, roster management all the way to the to the minors. Because I think it's a, uh, it's there's a fair question for how amazing the Rays are at developing players, um, if you consider how amazing they are at acquiring players. So I think they just know the kind of things that they can do, uh, that they are effective at uh, in player development and coaching, and they acquire players that need help in those areas and and make them help them make them better. Um, and they acquire players that have injury risks because they're easier to acquire. <laughs> uh, if you had told uh, you know the Brewers, if you had told us when we were looking at the Brewers trade of Willie Adams for Drew Rasmus and JP Fireisen that Drew Rasmussen would turn into the kind of guy uh, that uh, would show up in your top 20 uh, among starting pitchers in the American League, uh, you would be surprised, <laughs> you know, yeah. and uh, you would think that you would think maybe differently about that Willie Domus trade. I think at the time we were all like, oh, two oft injured relievers for, uh, for a starting shortstop. Now you're like, oh, I, I think I get it. You know, maybe a, a reliever that has closed for them and a reliever that actually ended up being, you know, a top 20 starter in the American League. Uh, that makes it seem a lot more fair. And so that's, I think that's a, a view into their their thinking process. But, um, you know, that's, that's always, uh, you know, if you are, if you're the Dodgers, you can try to have everything. And you can try to, you know, sign Mookie Betts to a really long-term extension because he's shown that he is quality and has pretty good longevity. You know, he's been a little bit hurt this year. Uh, but you, you don't care as much about that because you've got all these other players. If you're the Rays, you got to make some choices. <laughs> I think they've chosen. We'd rather have high uh, upside of uh, production with the high injury risk because that means we can get that player. 
I want to talk about the AL Cy Young award race just because with McClanahan's injury, Verlander recently going on the IL, it's a pretty open battle for that award anyway. AL pitching has been pretty great kind of across the board just with a lot of teams having aces pitching at that kind of level. Kevin Gossman, who you just mentioned, I, I didn't I didn't think he'd carry over everything he was doing with the Giants going into the AL East. I thought some of what we saw from Gossman in San Francisco was the byproduct of being in a pitcher-friendly environment. Um, I didn't think it was a bad contract, but I just thought, yeah, this this is going to look different going back into a division where he struggled for a long time with the Orioles. He's a different pitcher now than he was back then, clearly. Pitchers change, players change, that happens. If you just want to give the award based on war, Kevin Gossman would win the AL Cy Young if the season ended today. It doesn't end today, and there's other players within arm's reach. I would say Verlander is a clear candidate, McClanahan, maybe even Shane Beaver. It looks a little different because the K rate's not as high as it was before the lost time, but all four of those guys, and Dylan Cease, Garrett Cole, Shohei Otani, the list of players you can make a case for is much longer for the AL Cy Young than it is for a lot of other awards that people are talking about. Yeah, and it's, you know, full disclosure, I have a vote, so I can't uh, necessarily rank them for everybody, but I can talk generally about the trends and the interesting uh, facts of the matter in this case. And I think um, there's a little bit more consolidation in the NL Cy Young than there is in the AL Cy Young. And one thing that you can just look at uh, that's interesting is how different the different wars have it. I mean, you said uh, you said if you just look at war, then Gossman has it, but that's the Fangraphs war, and that's where he's mm-hmm. clearly out in front. But if you look over at Baseball Reference, I don't see him in the top ten. Like I don't know if I if I'm like looking. I'm not very. I'm not as good at Baseball Reference as Fangraphs. I'll just be honest. But like I'm looking at the American League pitching leaders, WAR for pitchers. It goes Cease, Verlander, Otani. There's no Gossman on here. Like I and it can't be innings because Gossman has 140. So I don't know what's going on there, but uh baseball reference says Gossman's not a top ten pitcher in the American League. Like let me let me just check this by looking at his player page real quick, because that that seems weird to me. But his war on his player page is two point seven. Narrow miss. Yeah, okay. Yeah. That's a pretty big difference, though. Yeah, he's not even on there. That's right. He's not in the top 10 for pitchers. And then if you go look over at Baseball Prospectus, it goes Cole, McClanahan, Otani, Cease, Verlander, Gossman in the American League. So that's a totally different order. (laughs) These are three completely different orders. And if you're curious about why that is, and if you think that means that uh, war is bunk, listen, I actually have... Uh, an ear for you like I, I will listen to you make that argument because it is kind of annoying that there are these different wars and they're so different but I also think it's just fascinating because it talks about w- how do we judge value by a pitcher because Fangraph says we're just going to look at strikeouts and walks and homers because we think those are the three things the pitcher does and everything else includes noise in terms of fielders and, and so on I I don't love that because my own research has suggested that there are outcomes that are influenced by the pitcher. There is such a thing as, as soft contact, quote-unquote. And um, so Baseball Reference says, okay, uh, we're going to take the results and we're going to look at how uh, the defense behind them plays generally. And so we'll, we'll just do like a blanket. Oh, the, I, what must be happening with Gossman is 
we think the Blue Jays defense is really good. And so we're going to actually take some quality away from Gossman because we think that's the defense. Um, the problem with that is the the Blue Jays don't play the same defense every night. True. So you can actually have defensive luck where the defense is playing well behind you. And then some of that is actually a skill because if you have a 60% ground ball rate, apparently your batting average on balls and play is lower. And, I, and some part of it might just be you're keeping your defender's engaged there's a lot of balls coming at him you know there's there's I'm, it sounds crazy but that's what the research says um and then uh baseball prospectus i think really tries to get down into the minutia of everything and be like okay we're gonna correct for the umpire we're gonna correct for the park we're gonna correct for the defense we're gonna correct for uh the the weather we're gonna correct for everything that we can correct for um and i like that but it also is kind of far from the, the last war, which I haven't mentioned yet, is uh, runs RA9 war is how I call it. Um, and RA9 war is just runs allowed. Like, what is your value given how many runs have allowed? And basically, it's a way of combining quality with quantity, right? This is just how good have you been? How good, have, how good has it been when you've been on the mound? You know, whole team-wise almost. It's not accounting for anything at all. Um, and the reason I like that one uh, is because um, it, it is everything. Like, you're almost the quarterback when you're the starting pitcher, right? So maybe we should just give him credit. Like, maybe by accounting for every little thing, we're we're still losing something. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> we think we figured everything out, but we're still losing something. And by RA9 war... In the American League, it's Verlander, Fromber Valdez, Shane McClanahan, Alec Manoa, and Dylan Cease. So I have a pretty tough vote in front of me, it looks like. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think it's decided yet. It's a great time to talk about it because there's no way you could look at this right now and say, yes, I know. I know exactly who I'm voting for and in what order. (laughs) It'd be impossible. You'd be a liar. There's no there's no way. The interesting thing about the Blue Jays, just looking at two of their best pitchers, Kevin Gossman compared to Alec Manoa, the BABIP difference. I don't care about BABIP in the grand scheme of things. Kevin Gossman has a 371 batting average on balls in play. Alec Manoa has a 257 batting and average on balls in play. That's my point. Like, that's the same defense. Same defense. Mostly the same players are all the same players. Yeah. Different combinations, maybe, depending on the day. But there's something in each of their respective profiles that's leading to a difference that's that large. And it could be that Manoa throws a sinker and Gossman is more of a four-seamer where he's living high in the zone. And if if they do make contact, it's more likely to be powerful contact where Manoa is living low in the zone. And, and you know, but Manoa's ground ball rate, 37.6%. Gossman's 39.1%. So it's not like Manoa's like a, you know, 60%. He's not from Valdez, you know? Yeah. I, I, I think about it more from an individual skills perspective. So I do probably, I guess I 
grew up. I don't know if I grew up with fan graphs, but like I, as an adult, once I became an adult and I've matured as an adult, fan graphs has been a big part of my life. You can debate when I actually became an adult. It was sometime <laughs> around age 25, probably. <laughs> fan graphs has been around for most of that journey. I look at the individual skills at like K minus BB percentage, and I look at home run rate and different things. And Shohei Otani is number one in K minus BB percentage among qualified pitchers in the American League. How much is it worth that he has 128 innings, and Verlander has 150, and, 100, and Gossman has 140? That he's gonna yeah. come up short on quantity, no matter what. Yes, and I have historically been willing to give a pass for pitchers who are slightly lighter on innings, either due to injuries or being young pitchers that have just come up for the first time i i think the the sort of key question like if i had a vote i've never had a vote i'm not a writer i'm not part of the club uh he's a he's not a member grandma he's a caddy Mm. i i would say in the american league if your season depended on it and it was an elimination game and you could pick any starter in the american league to start a game based on what you've seen this season who would you choose? Like, if, if there's not a clear statistical answer, then you can kind of go through that process and and maybe you find some soft sciences, some other factors that you want to break the tie. And I think that sort of leads you to an answer when there's not a clear and obvious answer with your full methodology. Yeah, but I mean, they're all really good. But I, I would really love, I would love to have Verlander. Oh, I'd love to have Otani, you know? <laughs> I, I do think that, Gossman suffers a little bit in that regard. He's rarely going to be the answer to the question I just put out there. Right. Like Dylan Cease, whew, Shane McClanahan, yeah. Kevin Gossman, yeah. <laughs> no, I think I think you'd if you asked 100 people, you might get uh, Gossman two, three times out of 100. Wow, you think it's that low? I think it's that low. It's disproportionately low relative to his performance. I think he's underappreciated. I think it's also interesting... You know, ERA is still something we we cling to. It's flawed because what is an earned run? What is an error? Have you ever watched uh, hit or error on MLB Network with uh, uh, why am I blank here right now? Brian Kenny. Uh, Brian Kenny does hit or error, and just just do it at a game. You know, uh, Logan Webb just got seven runs. Uh, wiped off of his ERA because they decided that a screamer up the middle that a shortstop kind of lunged at and touched was an error instead of a hit. Uh, and they did this like two months later. Kind of crazy. Have they been talking about it for two months? <laughs> like, it's, Have they been having like meetings? <laughs> Is this a hit or an error? Um, uh, but appeals uh, process. But ERA still has been has an anchor in our baseball psyche. And if you've got Justin Verlander with a 184 ERA, I just doubt that someone with a 314 ERA, Kevin Gossman, is going to win. You know, no matter what the war says on any site. Because Verlander has just been more impeccable. Now, he's got the 184 ERA. Now he's going to be hurt and he's going to be out. And Shane McClanahan has the 220 ERA and he's uh, going to be out for some period of time. But I'm looking at Dylan Cease's 227 ERA, and if he doesn't get hurt, and if he maybe has you know a, a little bit of a streak, and maybe even lowers that, and he's got a 207, you're gonna take Dylan Cease, who's gonna have more strikeouts than Kevin Gossman, right, and a lower ERA, and you're going to take Kevin Gossman over him. 
I don't know. I think a lot of people will start uh, flocking to Dylan Cease as a vote. And me being the fantasy nerd that I am, look at the walks from Dylan Cease. 10.4% is a really oh, high walk rate. He's the, the one of these things is not like the other on any sort of AL leaderboard right now, even though he's been great this year. I'm not, I'm not here to tell you that Dylan Cease isn't good, but I'm here to tell you that if my season depended on it, as good as he is, he would not be my choice to take the ball if I could choose from any AL pitcher. So he'd probably be on the ballot, but he'd be down my ballot a little bit if I had one. Yeah. I think, I think it's, I think, you know, I think Verlander and McClanahan would have been, you know, in the catbird seat. And it's unfortunate that they both hit error. They have both hit injuries at this point in the season, um, making it just even more muddied. Um, and I, and I could actually see Otani kind of, like sort of sliding his way through it right <laughs> i mean uh if everybody if the if the if the leader has 180 innings and he has 160 you know is is he really you know is that really that big of a difference um and then his per his per inning stats are probably going to be the best are you struggling to close deals b2b selling is tougher than ever and that's why i want to tell you about linkedin sales navigator one more great product from linkedin you're there to network you're there to look for jobs you're there to post jobs and how about linkedin sales navigator it's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high value customers drive higher revenue and increase sales performance sales navigator helps you target the right buyers surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started. When you get injured, you don't want to wait for answers and options. That's why it may be time to explore the Nano Experience a revolutionary treatment option designed to help active people get back to the lifestyles they love. Nanotechnology allows surgeons to see inside even the smallest joints and treat orthopedic conditions with a tiny camera and other nano instrumentation, all through a barely there poke hole incision. Wherever you've experienced an injury, whether it be foot and ankle, hand and wrist, shoulder and elbow, knee or hip, nanoarthroscopy can be used to diagnose and treat your condition in an extremely minimally invasive way. Don't wait to learn about the revolutionary nano experience and how it could help you or someone you know after an injury. Visit arthrex.info slash the athletic. This is not medical advice and is not meant to be a substitute for advice from your physician. Talk with your physician about your health condition, potential surgical risks, and whether Arthrex products are right for you. Postoperative management is patient-specific and dependent upon your physician's assessment. Individual results will vary. So I think it's funny. We've talked about the AL Cy Young for 10, 12 minutes already. Garrett Cole's name still hasn't even come up. <laughs> hasn't even been mentioned. Well, that's because we have a hard time with park factors. I mean, you know, the a one, two, six homer per nine doesn't just is the worst. That's his uh Dylan C's walk rate, right? Yep. Among the leaders. And I just think that's mostly the park. Um, and that's why he does well. He's in the top ten by Fangraph's war, 
Um, and I forget. Uh, he's not War, in the top ten. Sierra. He's not in the top ten for Baseball Reference. Um, but Baseball Prospectus has him as number one in the American League because they've accounted for the park. For people who are listening for the first time, uh, I'm not a Yankees fan. I don't have any sort of <laughs> attachment to them. I have my entire life watched them win, and when they don't win, watched and listened to their fans complain about them not winning the World Series any particular year. And as someone who grew up rooting for a team that's never won a World Series, that rubs me the wrong way, if I'm being honest about it. The uh, sense of entitlement and expectations for Garrett Cole, I think, are unfairly high. They're silly. Yeah, I've I've heard way too much of like he sucks or whatever. Like I'm sorry. It's still I mean that's not. Twitter. That's that's the world we live in right now, right? <laughs> we're we're in year three of a nine year three hundred and twenty four million dollar contract. And if you look at it for just the simple ways we look at performance versus salary, and I know it's kind of a, a gross way to talk about people, mm. he's earned the deal so far. You have no grounds for complaint. Garrett Cole has been as good as he's supposed to be on this nine-year deal through the first three years. I don't know if that's going to happen for the next six, but we're not really seeing a lot of signs of decline. There's a lot of different ways he can go from here. He could have a year where he throws a changeup 30% of the time. You know what I mean? Like, Still has big velo, too. Yeah, it's the type of... I think it's the type of guy you bet on where the injury outcomes have been good. He's the type of guy that the Yankees get because the injury outcomes are good. The, 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 you know, the penitential's there to age well. The, the velo's there. The strikeouts are there, you know. He he and he's survived that transition to that park about as as good as anyone. Think of all the pitchers they've acquired from other teams that have not. <laughs> you know, Sonny Gray, Frankie Montas, maybe in the middle of it. You know, it's a tough park, and uh, and Cole has been doing really well, and he deserves, I think, probably top three, top five. I, you know, if you're going to be a DRA absolutionist and say nope, it's got to be him. He's number one. Uh, listen, I'll, I'll listen to you, but I think when I when I when I do my work, I will actually throw RA nine war in there. Just just what happened, you know? I want that as part of the discussion. Um, but I may end up, uh, you know, putting all of these wars in a spreadsheet because uh, I'm a nerd. And you will probably make a spreadsheet. Yeah, I it's a safe make, assumption. Make a spreadsheet and uh, and. You know, the, 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 the hard part is if you average these things out, you're also wrong. Like if any of these one things is wrong, when you average them out, you're just compounding the wrongness, you're just averaging it out. At the same time, these, all these different wars represent really fundamentally different worldviews. So by averaging out, at least you get an idea of, you know, what is the average view of, you know, all these things. Maybe I'll use a rotisserie style approach to uh, give my non-existent votes out for <laughs> awards this it's year. It's much easier in the National League, I have to say. Is it Sandy Alcantara as the, the shoe-in or at least the heavy favorite with um, 30-ish games to go? I think so, because if you just do the same game, here's uh, Fangraph's War. It's a tie. Sandy Alcantara, Carlos Rodon, Aaron Nola. Uh, but if you go over to Baseball Reference, it's Alcantara by a win and, and 1.8 wins over Max Fried and Nola and Scherzer. Uh, and then if you go to baseball prospectus, it's Alcantara, the number one pitcher in baseball uh, by baseball prospectus warp. Uh, Nola second. 
um, and Corbin Burns third. So just the fact that Alcantara is number one in all three makes it easier to be like, well, yeah, there's some, there's a, there's, you can order the names below that differently. Uh, but right now he's an easy front runner, especially with, you know, Nola had the bad start recently and is prone sometimes to bad starts. I think it's because he's a, a little bit more command guy than the stuff guy. And every once in a while in one game, the command can leave you and, and that's what you, you not, you can't just like blow it by people. Um, so if he has another bad start, I think it just cements Alcantara's lead. And then Alcantara has, you know, it's also just super easy to like him because he has that awesome home park. Uh, and so even if he has a mediocre start, it's not going to be Citizens Bank, you know. If, if Sandy Alcantara has a mediocre night, he'll give up two runs in six in Miami. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, and a lot of the, the other candidates have lost time either due to injury, in the case oh, of, of Max Scherzer. out in front of innings, yeah. So yeah, I think unless the voters are, are comfortable going with someone either like Scherzer or Spencer Strider, who's going to be probably 40 to 50 innings lighter than Sandy at the end of the season, maybe even more. But no, too many people will still be voting on ERA. And Alcantara right now has a 2.13 ERA. Why would you take Scherzer, who has pitched 60 innings less and has a higher ERA, you know, or Strider, who has a higher ERA? I think the voting for these awards over time has become much more in step with advanced stats and and process over back of the baseball card stats. So I do think Sandy's chances of of winning, they're much better in 2022 than they were even in 2012. I could see oh, because Sandy Alcantara being the victim. Or whatever. Yeah, he, he's more likely to have been the victim of a, a Cy Young going to someone else the Tyler year he was Anderson's supposed to win. Tyler Anderson's 13-2. Yeah, exactly. That was that was more likely to happen in the past. It's not impossible now, but it seems a lot less likely to be. Yeah, so, Aaron Nola has a 9-11 and 11 record. I haven't mentioned wins and losses because it's not really part of my process, but Aaron Nola has a 9-11 and 11 record. There will be still some voters like, you know, this will be some voters that matters for. And if you're actually trying to if you're like trying to put money down on this or trying to like, you know, guess where the, the which way the vote will go. Some of the stuff does matter. You know, Aaron Nola's 9-11 record might matter to a few voters. Yeah, unfortunately, I mean, Corbin Burns is right there on an individual performance level. Uh, still sitting there with a 24.1% K minus BB, fourth among NL starters. I mean, we mentioned Rodon earlier. I think skills wise, he's there. Warp and could easily pass Nola. Yeah, could actually pass all contra because it's it's that it's it's much closer there. So it's it's not completely decided, but I would agree with you that, that Sandy Alcantara looks like he's got a pretty good leg up on that uh, at this point in time. Uh, I wanted to check in on the 2022 run environment because I remember at the beginning of the season uh, having a particularly bleak outlook based on changes to the ball uh, the way that was impacting opposite field power early I think weather. one of the images early weather you if you remember some highlights from the early part of the season when players didn't actually hit the ball out there were reactions as though they hit a ball out and then looks into the dugout like holy crap i thought i got that and it was a long out at the warning track and i think We've all sort of adjusted in various ways. I feel like I don't see as many reactions like that. People sort of know what to expect now on contact because we've been doing this for for five months this season. And I was just looking at the overall offensive performance. It's a five-year low right now in 2022 for strikeouts per team game at 8.35. That to me seems like a big step in the right direction, right? One of the biggest critiques most people would have about baseball, 
not enough action. Well, there's not enough action because there's too many strikeouts, among other things. You get that down, that's a good thing. I don't know if it's necessarily down for any particular reason, though. Of all the things we're looking at, it seems like the hardest thing to control if you're not going to you know, change the mound or do something more radical like that. But the slash line for the league has recovered to the point where it's at 243, 312, 395. And when you were saying before we started recording that that sort of works other than maybe the slug being under 400. That's a, a shade on the low side for power. Well, it's just funny. Like, like, what do you want? Like, what, like, do we describe the baseball we want to see in terms of slugging percentage? <laughs> you know, like, I, I, I did say that, but I'm almost backtracking because I'm like, well, yeah, I, I like 400 slugging. So it seems like a better number. 400 slugging is something that I've thought of as, okay, if you have over 400 slugging, you have above average power, right? <laughs> That's... That's like from kids back of the baseball card stuff. But does 400 slugging actually matter to us when we're watching the game? Would we? Oh, I, I wish there had been one more double in this game. That would have been that would have made this game better. If there had been one more double. Uh, but uh, at the same time, uh, I agree with you that there have been some good changes. However, the mechanism for those changes I think is important. The basically the only there's only two reasons that uh, the strikeout rate is down. One. Pitchers stop hitting. They were striking out over 50% of the time. <laughs> it was getting that bad. And two, we started sticky stuff enforcement. However, we now know from some work at Rob Arthur at Baseball Prospectus that spin rate is coming back in. So it's very likely that pitchers have found some sort of substance that is clear or wipe. they can wipe on their pants easily, uh, somehow get rid of before the, the hand inspection. Um, spin is not all the way back to where it was when we were using spider tack. If you don't know about this, spider tack is something that the world's strongest man competitors use to keep their fingers attached to the boulders as they're like lugging boulders around. Um, and it can actually, you can actually get a dislocated shoulder or, or fingers from the spider tack being too attached to the thing, you know, you're trying to Magnus drop it. Magnus von Magnuson and whatnot. Yeah, the things we've learned. Um, but uh, so you can't have spider tack on your fingers. That was like, spider tack was like plus 400 RPM and like a huge thing for, for people with breaking balls and high fastballs. You can't get that off your fingers in time. So I can't believe that they're doing that because you, you have to show your hand to the umpire. Uh, on the other hand, there are other substances. I've seen a lot of pitchers go to their hair. So there maybe there's some sort of hair jellish type thing that you 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 know you throw with it and you throw, put it with the rosin yeah you get 200 rpm uh, and then you wipe it on your pants and, and show your hand to the to the, the umpire uh, that is coming back so if that's coming back then maybe we're gonna start to see the strikeout engine go and to me the real issue with strikeout rates is velo and we need to do something about it whether it's pitch clocks. Uh, fewer pitchers on the roster, you know, maybe some sort of limit to how many pitchers are available in a given night, something to force pitchers to go longer so they can't just come in and throw as hard as they can and wait as long as they can to rest and then throw as hard as they can, which is what baseball players are doing now. So I agree with you that, you know, maybe 2019 was bonkers. Uh, that year we broke all uh, we broke all the home run records and the slugging percentage was 435. <laughs> I guess that's too much. Um, where we are now, 396 slugging is not that far off. 2014 was 386. 2013 was 396. We've been here before. The big thing for me is batting average is still at an all-time low and it keeps going lower and lower and lower. 
And I actually think there is some sort of ideal batting average because batting average, as much as it's not a useful stat for uh, you know evaluating players because there's a lot of noise in it, it is a decent way to evaluate your experience at the ball game because it basically tells you how many balls are being put in play, you know? And the higher that is, the more interest there is at a game. I'm sorry. The more times you hear the crack of the bat, the less you're looking at your phone. I, this is something I believe. Yeah, so it's pretty funny because the batting average, it's still low. It's not the, like, the lowest of all all time like it was earlier in the season. The league hitting 243. Only times the league average has been at or below 243 prior to this season, 1968. Didn't they change the mound after that? There was a mound change and there was some expansion. I think the mound changes were the late 60s, if I have history right off the top of the cuff. I think 68 was the year of the pitcher, and uh, they changed the mound after that. Yeah, 1968, 237. That's the lowest ever in any major league season going all the way back to the very beginning. 1888, ah. the league hit 239 that year. And I- Google it. After 1968's year, the pitcher MLB lowered the mound. <laughs> the yeah, last so- time we hit this low, they changed the physical characteristics of the field in play. <laughs> yeah, because the other seasons around it, 1888, if you were listening in 1888, please drop us an email. We'd really yeah. appreciate to hear from you. You'd be the <laughs> oldest person ever to send an email, which would be remarkable. 1908. 1967, which right before 1968, and then 1884. Those are the only seasons, the only five seasons other than this one where the league average has been 243 or worse. So the pitch clock to me seems like the next most logical change. I'm actually in favor of it. I think it's coming. I think it's coming next year. It might help pitchers stay healthy. At least I'm more convinced that it's not going to make the injury problem worse. Because they wouldn't be able to throw as close to their max. Because it's more like training for a marathon versus a sprint, you know? Yes, I think pitchers will have to dial it back on their own just to have enough energy to get through outings, and that could but have a But will they? Because they'll still get benefit. paid on the visa. <laughs> well, it's all relative. It's still being better than everybody else in, in the pool. So. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, you know, we mentioned Dr. Mike Stone. He's very much against uh, pitch clocks because, as I said, in fatigue units, one of the things is pace between pitches. Um, so he, he thinks that that will definitely lead to more fatigue and I have an ear for him too, but you know, we, we're not that good at injuries. The guys are getting injured anyway, you know, and uh, I, I just, I feel like we have to do something about the batting. Like we, the last time was this low, we changed the friggin' mound. So if you want to talk about changing the mound, sure. But pitch clocks would be an easier thing to try first. I think the hypothesis is that Dr. Sun put out there is right if pitchers don't dial it back on yeah. their own. If pitchers go max effort with the pitch clock, they will get hurt at an elevated rate. I'm not yeah. I'm not pushing back against that. I think pitchers are going to realize I can't throw my max every pitch, every outing. If, if I I'm a reliever and go 70 between yeah, pitches. <laughs> I'm going to make 70 appearances this year. This isn't going to work. My recovery is all going to be different. Uh-huh. I, I hope that we get more of a proactive adjustment in the right direction as opposed to the that's a brick wall, and I'm going to run right through it because I think <laughs> players tend to be a little more like that if we have to choose, you know, we'll option see. A or option B. But we will see. And I, I'm, I'm in favor of trying to do something different because I would agree with you, more balls in play is good. Even if it's a ground ball to short, that's more exciting than a strikeout to watch. The shortstop had to make a play. But I agree with you that, that I think the home run environment is okay. It was it got a little bonkers when Freddie Galvis is hitting like thirty five homers and you know the like 
small guys are hitting oppo tanks where you're just like what i thought that was a can of corn you know <laughs> now it's more like if the ball goes the opposite field you're like uh if you're not aaron judge it's probably not going out you know right a little more fair, it seems, at least uh, for the pitchers. And again, still a decent number, a healthy number of home runs, but not a ridiculous number of home runs. We are going to go, uh, before we leave, a quick reminder, you can get a subscription to The Athletic for a dollar a month for the first six months at theathletic.com slash baseball show. You can read Eno's piece about bullpens. You can read all the other great baseball coverage that we have. A lot of big stuff happening with the Players Association uh, extending to the minor leagues, or at least attempting to begin that process. So a lot of great coverage from Evan Drellick and our staff on that. So be sure to check those stories out. We'll probably talk about that on an upcoming pod in the near future. On Twitter, Eno is at Eno Saris. I am at Derek Van Riper. If you got a question for us for a future episode, you can send us an email at the Rates and Barrels account, ratesandbarrels at theathletic.com. The Athletic Baseball Show returns on Friday. You've always got the green light. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.